Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a chief compliance officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This month on The Compliance Life, I visit with Courtney Nordrum. Courtney is the Chief Compliance Officer at Deluxe. In this four-part series, we look at her upbringing and college career. She grew up in Red Wing, Minnesota. We look at her early professional career from Freddie Mac to law school to big law to having her own law firm focusing on animal rights. We look at her work at Thomson Reuters, and then the SCCE, where she founded both the SCCE blog and the SCCE podcast, and how this led to Courtney finding her calling in compliance. In episode four, we look at Courtney moving into the chief compliance officer chair. She shares why she is so passionate about her role at Deluxe, some of the successes she's had at Deluxe, And we conclude with Courtney looking at the CCO chair and the compliance profession in 2025 and beyond. I know you will enjoy this month's edition of The Compliance Life with Courtney Nordrum. We'll be right back with Courtney Nordrum after this message. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back with another episode of The Compliance Life today. I'm thrilled to have Courtney Nordrum, the Regulatory Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer as what we would call in the South, the Deluxe Corporation. So, Courtney, <laughs> first of all, welcome to The Compliance Life. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm so happy to be here, Tom. So, Courtney, uh, you grew up in a place uh, that I didn't know existed, but it does, and that's Red Wing, Minnesota. Uh, I'm familiar with Red Wing for two reasons. One, uh, they were the ice cream truck company that delivered ice cream in Houston when I was a kid growing up. And second, they are well known for their work shoes. So uh, what was it like to grow up in a town that is ubiquitous for shoes and ice cream? Uh, So I don't know anything about the ice cream, actually. Um, But the work shoes, pretty much we all live and breathe what we call the shoe company um, in Red Wing. And so my stepdad has worked there for 40 years. My grandma worked there. Pretty much everybody has family who works there. 
and and it's it's really interesting because you can see how the macro and microeconomics work on the the shoe on the shoe company. Um, and it was also a really good example of this is very kind of high level, but vertical integration. So when I learned about vertical integration in college, it reminded me that Red Wing Shoe Company owns the leather tannery that they use to get that they get all of their leather from. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is something I'm familiar with is this concept, but it was um, it, it took someone to explain it to me to tell me what it actually was. It's kind of a sleepy little town, 16,000 people, about an hour south of the Twin Cities, right on the Mississippi River. So where did you, uh, first of all, uh, well, I uh, then moved to your college experience, but also you had, the, I think, the, the unique situation where you studied abroad, both during college and during law school. So I was wondering if you could tell us about college, what you majored in, uh, but but equally importantly, this international experience and how that may have been impacted you, a girl from, uh, you know, 16,000 person town of Red Wing, Minnesota. Yeah, so I, I studied, studied poli-sci and legal studies in college and uh, a little bit of forensics. But the the big things, big thing I enjoyed in college was studying abroad. And so I did go to Australia which for a girl from 16,000, <laughs> population 16,000, was a big, big change. And I remember I went in 2001, so you can do the math, um, but I remember someone saying in 2001, you'll never be able to travel as cheaply and as easily as you can as a student. And so I took advantage of it and it, it was absolutely phenomenal. One of the things that I had never done before was, was go international in a way that wasn't a vacation. I think I had been to Mexico with my grandparents, but to actually go and immerse yourself in another country to learn who they are, what they care about, and that I, I think importantly that people everywhere are inherently good was very, very eye-opening. So uh, what did you do uh, right? Uh, actually, um, one of the things we're gonna explore in some of the later episodes is your passions for both animals and animal rights. Is that something you developed early or did that come later in your professional career? Came out of just my love for animals and growing up in a smaller area in the Midwest means that you're growing up near cows, near horses everybody has pets. And when I went to law school, eventually I started to say, oh, that's an interest I can turn into a profession. Um, honestly, I hadn't thought about it until then, but it's something that I was always interested in, insofar as how do we protect the animals from, you know, bad people who want to do them harm? And how do we, th there's, in the legal world, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but in the legal world, animals are still considered property. And you can kill your animals if you want to kill your animals, which makes sense if you're a farmer, because that's how you make money. Uh, but it's a little weird if it's, you know, your dog. 
So to me, I wanted to explore kind of what that meant, what a, a, a sentient, maybe sentient being, a, a living thing being property meant. And so I went down um, a rabbit hole kind of into the animal law area. And it, it, it was fascinating. It is full of interesting legal twists and turns and interesting people. But ultimately, you know, not where I ended up, but it, it really came out of just a passion for animals and, and empathy for animals and wanting to make the world a better place. Animal lawyers like to say they're the only lawyers whose clients are always innocent um, and, and they may be. So it was the, the so, very, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I know, please finish. I was gonna say, it, it, it may be the, you know, Midwestern help everybody kind of upbringing, but it, it was, I was really passionate about it for a few years. Uh, one of the other things you did in college was in addition to your poli sci major, you did uh, debate. And uh, in addition to, I think you met your husband on the debate team, was that the first time you had done debate? And um, did you use that sort of debate experience and learning uh, later in your professional career, even up to today? Yeah, so I we did mock trial in college, which is basically debate only ar around legal topics. And I didn't join debate in high school. I was asked to by the debate teacher, but I had a job and I, I really was very loyal to going to that job every day after school. And so I didn't join debate, but it was the first time I ever really did any sort of public speaking and I, I caught the bug. And I also, um, in addition to meeting my husband on the mock trial team at Hamlin University, got to build a lot of friendships, but got to learn kind of the art of persuasion through talking. It, it was really eye-opening to see how the way people phrase what they're saying, how they say it, uh, do you end in your sentence going up or do you end your sentence going down? How all of this impacts and affects the listener. Also, because it was mock trial, it was really, really helpful when I got to law school in evidence class because in mock trial, you argue objections and evidentiary objections. And so, I got to evidence class and I can recite all of the hearsay objections <laughs> or the relevance objections. And so I had a, a bit of a leg up in evidence class because I had already had so much experience with the rules. Well, Courtney, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us again in episode two, where we take a look at your fascinating early professional career. I look forward to continuing the conversation. Me too. Thanks, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you'll join me again next week where I take up another episode with in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of The Compliance Podcast Network. 
If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.